welcome to episode 8 of let's talk cloud unscripted with your host numan mustafa and john gonzalez so today we have very very special guest uh, two black belts from microsoft azure um, brian ashley and manny salero um we will want to talk about the azure momentum that we are seeing these days and and although you know aws started early and they were able to prove a lot of things for the businesses now what we are seeing this uh, aws and azure are almost uh, becoming two dominant cloud providers and we wanted to get some thoughts from brian and manny also we wanted to see uh, some of their lessons learned uh, they are the ones who are working with our top azure customers on a daily basis and Uh, this is a very evolving space where you you you're learning every day you're learning from experiences you're learning from services that are coming out and you know it just helps uh, the the architects the communities the business decision makers in terms of you know take the learning and and imply this into their business as well so uh, brian and many welcome to the show uh, this is our episode 8 and love to uh, have your experiences here yeah thanks for having us yeah thanks doman thanks for inviting us It's great, um, and then John, you know, uh, feel free to share your uh, stories from your mm-hmm. uh, uh, days uh, managing managing a large financial infrastructure as we yeah. go along. But my first question that I wanted to ask uh, from uh, Brian and Manny is, you know, why is Azure all of a sudden becoming so important and and almost like they were able to cover so much ground and almost head to head in terms of their success? when comparing to AWS and obviously AWS being the early leaders and they were able to prove a lot of things so in your experiences what's resonating with the customers and 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 why they're able to cover so much ground yeah so i would say um azure indeed was maybe a little bit late to the party in terms of or second to AWS um a lot of that i think was just learning a little bit um you know they had a big cultural shift inside the organization and obviously through some changes of leadership but really looking to embrace cloud and so they learned a lot of lessons from AWS um but then also to had to get the same type of scale and and service availability um for a lot of their legacy applications that folks were very much used to and, and make that available in a cloud way Um so I think now we've gotten into a point where as enterprise IT is embracing cloud more and more and more um you know Azure has done a good job of uplifting their environments and their offerings to to really become that you know in some instances second runner and in some instances maybe even that that first runner uh in the cloud space Yeah, I I agree with that Brian and I think it, we have to look at Microsoft's history with having deep roots in the enterprise, right? Mainly in user-facing technologies like Windows and and things like that, but they do have a long history of of working with enterprises, deep roots, deeply rooted in the enterprise in a lot of partnerships. They have a massive ecosystem and as they build their cloud and if we you know we leave if we believe the numbers that are out there that are saying that only 5% of workloads are in the cloud that's that's almost nothing. So we know that the market has a huge huge portion of it that is deeply rooted in Microsoft. Right? So as as Azure comes online, starts gaining experience, they already have a trust with the ecosystem with customers where 
they know Microsoft is very good at delivering applications, good at user experience. Hey, we're, you know what? This is for us with the tools we have in place today, with the skill sets we have in place today for us, making an adoption of Azure is a no-brainer. And, and just to think of it this way, for a lot of users, moving to Azure is, is in their minds is, hey, I'm, I'm actually making an Azure Active Directory upgrade. It's, it's as simple as that. And that's, that's why you see a lot of adoption and a lot of interest in, in Azure from customers. And, and I, I would also add that it, it's true. They've commanded the desktops for many, many de um, decades, end user and desktop. And it's a little bit surprising to me that they are, they are not the, the front runner, you know, leaps and bounds mm. above AWS and, um, you know, they, you know, take away your, your on-premise type applic Microsoft applications, move them to the cloud, um, you know, refreshes seamlessly, you know, no, yeah, I wouldn't say no bugs, but, um, you know, bugs that don't impact, you know, your, your user community directly. Um, you know, it is a little bit surprising why they haven't done better than what they've done today. You know, maybe that's yet to come. Yeah. So, um, so, so John, uh, I also would ask this question uh, uh, to you as well, right? So you have been uh, the head of infrastructure for a major financial before joining Avatrix. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, when you were looking at, uh, at, at the cloud uh, journey, right, you would have you uh, probably would be a good question for you, right? That why not? Why not Azure? Why why uh, why AWS? Or what were the key reasons or key one or two reasons why you went with uh, one cloud over the other? And what was the decision yeah. that you guys made for it, for Azure? I, I I think for for us, you know, from big corporate, it was the pedigree that AWS had in the cloud. We knew Microsoft were smart people, etc. You know every organization uses their desktops. Um, but um, and, and, until, they, um, until we decided, until City decided to, um, to, to sort of start using some of the SaaS services from Microsoft. Um, and the only reason they use that is because you know, it was financially very beneficial, um, mm. you know, rather than all the individual licenses on-prem or into ELA, uh, very, very financially beneficial. Um, plus the, the modernization of the applications, it made it a lot more easier for, from an end user experience. Um, you know, the, the a decision was made, let's go to AWS first, um, mm -hmm. you know, for, to, to, to consume compute, storage and processing power. And then let's bring on SASE type services from Microsoft and let's see how they work before mm -hmm. we decide to go for the IS type um, service and, and split start splitting service between AWS and and um, Azure. Um, it, yeah, it was a I think basically it was the you know the big gorilla in the room AWS. No one no you know the old adage no one ever got fired from going with IBM. It was almost a similar type thing, you know, and you know as I say they had a little in our opinion they had more of a pedigree for for IaaS than than Azure. At the time, 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, I think, to see that start to shift, though, a little bit, you know, I mean, over the last couple of years, and, and some of that has is, you know, much credit to Azure and, um, you know, uplifting their environments and their offerings and, you know, their, their regional sort of reach. Um, But also, too, uh, you know, I think we can't discount the fact that, AWS is is becoming more and more a competitor to enterprise organizations. Um, and so that is pushing a lot of organizations away from AWS and into the arms of Azure. And to Manny's point, um, you know, they have done a really good job of continuing that trust that they have built in years past um, into Azure as well. And so, you know, there's been, you know, recent the Jedi contracts and things like that, you're starting to see a lot of that momentum shift um, into Azure um, as a trusted partner who, you know, they don't have to worry about as being a future competitor. Yeah. I mean, that's becoming very, 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 very true, right? That the business business dynamics are dictating a lot of these decisions. It's not a, a you know, architect decision or, a, or a IT decision. It's a business decision. And, and we have seen this uh, several times where, a customer would come, let's say if you're providing a service in AWS, a customer would come to you and say that I want your service, but only if you are going to be hosting in Azure, let's say, or in GCP even, right? And then, uh, and, and if you don't provide that, you, you are at the risk of losing millions of dollars of business. This happened to us several times uh, here at Evatrix. And then this is where I think it's pretty evident now that that is the business that dictates what service and what infrastructure from the cloud, which cloud uh, we want you to leverage. And we just need to make sure that from an architectural perspective, you can provide that nimbleness and agility that business is looking for. So, so Manny uh, and Brian, coming back to you, um, tell us about tell us something about the, the group that you were working um, at at Microsoft uh, before coming to Aviatrix, and and working with so many customers now, and and obviously back when you were at Microsoft, what are some of the pain points and 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 experiences that that you saw and and you would like to share with other customers who are starting either with the Azure journey or maybe in the Azure journey and you want them to um, you know, learn from the experiences on what are the things that they can do better in terms of optimizing. So what has been your, um, just tell us about uh, something where you were, what that group was doing, and then just general um, uh, experiences from the customers that you've learned. So I would say in, in general, so being part of the, the global black belt team at Azure, uh, focusing on networking, um, we, what we saw is a lot of customers want to move into the cloud. They want to start deploying workloads. And guess what? The network is still a lag. It's still complex. It's mm-hmm. still difficult to bring those workloads in because you have to lay out the foundation. What is it going to be? Is it going to be express route? Is it going to be VPN? Are we going to have multiple regions? How, how are we going to build that, that underlying infrastructure to get our, our, our workloads in the, in the cloud? And I remember, I think, Brian, if, if you remember, we did some type of survey and, and it was in, in the nature of, I think it was like six to 10 weeks or along those lines, just to be able to do any network planning to get those workloads moving. So the, the complexity is, is still, the networking complexity as we move to cloud. So you remember virtualization was supposed to make everything easier. And then now virtualizations move to the cloud that those still, there's still that delay in bringing up the network up to speed, network and security, right? That's still a lag. So that doesn't change in public cloud. So I think actually that's made it more difficult because now 
you don't, you're not in charge of the network. And then the security is kind of abstracted. You don't see everything. You don't have the hooks that you used to have in the past. Brian, I don't know if you agree with that, but. Yeah, no, very much so. I mean, the, the network w- was um, still t- sort of a pain to get that initial plumbing stood up. But I, but I think the, the interesting sort of piece there is a lot of the reasons why, mm. um, you know, in, in being in Azure, in, especially on the inside, and I think this is true with other cloud providers as well, but, um, you know, the, the networking isn't really the money makers. The, the, the money maker are the workloads, right? So, so they get all the development and they get, you know, the, the eyes on it and, and to um, all the feature enhancements to stay up to date. The, the networking is a necessary evil. Um, so when it comes to, you know, advanced services or making it easy to stitch all these things together without having to have some sort of manual step or, or um you know, manual entry often to, to make it all work. It's just not there. And so, you know, I think that was what was so interesting, at least for me in a company like Aviatrix that is solely focused on that element. Right. Mm -hmm. And to be able to not only take what the CSPs sort of provide and help make that a little bit easier, but also fill in some of those gaps so that when we get to the real world and we have real world problems in networking, you know, those don't just go away because we come to cloud, um, we have solutions for them, right? And, and oftentimes the CSPs don't and probably won't just because, again, they're, they're more motivated by workload consumption than they are networking. Yeah, and Brian, and I've heard you say this before, right? Their focus is applications. Then on top of that, they're they have to build to scale to the to the millions, right? We don't. We we what we build, we build that needs to scale to you. So they're building a platform, and their focus is totally different, right? And that's why I think we both came to Aviatrix is we wanted to focus on the networking and security layers of the cloud, right? Great, great. That's a good segue to, um, to let's say, fast forward to now you guys are at Aviatrix and you're working with several of our customers who have, you know, either Azure as the primary cloud or maybe as a, you know, second close, um, you know, a, a cloud in, in the deployments. So what are the key things that, that you know, you see that they see Aviatrix as uh, the value that they're providing? Um, and what are the, some of the common things that every Azure customer is looking for or asking for? So, so I would say, you know, it's funny when we learned some lessons in networking in the on-prem world and when we went to cloud, we sort of forgot them, right? Things like yeah. a, an architecture is important. Things like avoid vendor lock-in or, you know, don't let the capabilities of your networking gear dictate your architecture, right? Um, we just sort of forgot all those and accepted it when we went to cloud. And, and I think now as enterprise IT and everybody, you know, is starting to, to really make that shift, we're remembering those things. And so I think that in um, sort of as a whole is, is really a lot of value that they see in Aviatrix, right? Where we can take advantage of what the CSP gives us, but we also have our advanced services in that can be brought in, but in a repeatable way in, in that architecture. But it also affords us the ability to be flexible. We're, we're, not commit, we're not locked into a particular cloud, whether it's Azure or AWS or any other cloud provider. We can start to leverage 
a particular service where it runs best. You know, guess what? Mm -hmm. SQL mm -hmm. databases and things mm -hmm. like that. Azure has a little bit of, of an advantage. Oracle databases, guess what? They're going to run a little bit better in Oracle. Um, and so our platform and our network plumbing easily extends across all of those cloud providers to make it really, really easy to consume those apps in the right place and remain flexible without having to um, sacrifice anything architecturally. And to build on what you just said, Brian, it's the abstraction of complexity of building all of these things. And this is what our customers love. They no longer have to be skilled up on four clouds, six, you know, five clouds, whatever it may be. Now you can build that, that single control plane infrastructure from a controller, single uh, um, Terraform provider, and abstract all of the complexities that they're, they're having to live with. So typically customers fall into two categories, the ones that are really experienced in cloud and see our value and they jump all over Aviatrix. And then the ones that don't have experience in cloud that have never built a transit, that it takes a little bit while longer to convince that, hey, you know, the, our platform is going to solve a lot of your problems. So, the, the, you know, the, the ones that, are, that have the experience that have tried to build it and know how complex it is, no brainer, let's do it, let's do it now. The ones that are starting out are the ones that we try to educate on this, you know, this architecture, you know, let's take what we used to do on-prem, which was to build architectures to make things better. Let's build architectures across different clouds. And guess what? Let's, let's give you that centralized visibility and control plane, which is so important. So you don't have to be managing four different routing domains on the back end or more. Mm -hmm. So, you know. I'd say there's even a third category there, Manny, in that customers um, are, are moving to cloud and, and going cloud native for networking, um, probably for a couple of reasons. One reason being um, they, um, they've had bad experiences from on-prem. It takes so long to do anything, you know, six to nine months to do anything. You need a huge capital budget. I just don't want to deal with those on-prem guys anymore. I'm going to go all native. I'm going to kick off in AWS or Azure. I'm going to use native, native constructs throughout, right? I don't have to talk to those guys on-prem anymore in my life. That's you know, I'll be able to sleep at night. But then the realization kicks in. Hang on, I've got to move to another cloud. Hang on, the native constructs don't really give me everything I want. Lack in security. I've got no audit trail. I've got no visibility. Um, and I think that's where Aviatrix really steps up to the plate and they start to realize that, hang on, I do need something like an Aviatrix. I do need to be multi-cloud. I do need networking now, but not the same as on-prem. I need it differently. I need it with cloud constructs. And, you know, in comes Aviatrix, you know, hopefully yeah. to save the day. <laughs> yeah. And then um, that's great. <clears throat> um, good point, John. Uh, one, more one more question. Actually, I have two parts to it. So, Ryan and many in, in, in your experience working with customers who are in Azure, right? So what percentage of them are, are multi-cloud? or looking to be multi-cloud um, and then what were the key what are the key reasons for it because I think there is this uh, perception or misconception that multi-cloud means that you are moving your workloads here and there all the time that's that's not I think what multi-cloud is for multi-cloud is as you mentioned earlier is about leveraging um, leveraging the, the the best of services from whichever cloud it provides and the comfort level of your teams who may be uh, let's say AWS shop or, or uh, Azure shop so would you validate that? And second is, why is that that certain verticals 
right? Certain verticals like oil and gas, or uh, you know, even you are seeing a lot of uh, government contracts uh, are being allocated to or given to uh, to Azure. Is it because of uh, the relationships or the partner ecosystem? Uh, what are the dynamics there? So maybe Brian, you can handle one, and Ben, you can handle the other one. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll take the the first part of your question there in terms of multi-cloud. I, um, I would say a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. there there were customers who were looking at multi-cloud. I wouldn't say it was the majority, but it was primarily for DR reasons where they said, mm-hmm. okay, you know what, if there's a regional outage in Azure or regional outage in AWS, I want to have some backup in another cloud, right? And so it was very much a hot, cold kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, however, as the shift has really um, been made for, you know, a, a, most all enterprises, but also to third-party offerings, you know, we've seen a proliferation of SaaS and PaaS offerings. That story's changed a little bit, you know, rather than it just being you internally from a DR perspective, now your your customers are pushing you to multi-cloud. Your partners are pushing you to multi-cloud, right? Your your integrations with third-party are are forcing multi-cloud support. So now it's becoming a, a, um, a an issue for almost every customer. They have to figure out how are we going to handle the inevitability of needing to provide multi-cloud support for for these applications or access even for our users to another application. Um, and so then, again, a lot of that is real world scenarios, right? Maybe there's a merger and acquisition um, that happens. And so when we talk about our, you know, our reference architectures, um, it, it, at least initially, not to mention longer term, our day two operations piece, um, organizations are really looking at that now saying, you know, okay, yeah, th- this is great. But how do I plan for that inevitability? What, what, is, what impact does that have on my control plane from an architectural perspective, but also my operational guys? When something inevitably breaks, how, how are they going to be able to respond quickly and my whole environment remain agile? So it's definitely moving to the forefront of the conversation now much more. And, and uh, people are trying to figure out and understanding, okay, I, I can't treat these as disparate entities anymore. I sort of need a way to get above that and leverage all of them, or at least, you know, be ready to leverage all of them when that situation presents itself. Yeah, Norman, and to, I guess, to address the second part of your question, it, it goes back to what I, what I said earlier. So the, the surge and the adoption in Azure has a lot to do with how easy Microsoft allows um, customers to dip their toes in Azure. Right. Mm-hmm. They have pretty much every tool that they have on prem today is available in Azure as some type of service. I mentioned Active Directory, Dynamics, a lot of these SASE tools that mm-hmm. customers have on premises. You can easily spin these up in the cloud and start utilizing and doing some testing and start bringing st- stuff in. There is a huge, huge, huge market out there of Microsoft customers and ecosystems leveraging all of these tools. Brian mentioned Exchange, I say Office 365. You know, you can, it goes on and on and on. And on top of that, customers, you mentioned oil and gas. So oil and gas, um, a lot of edge services, a lot of di- disconnected services. Microsoft has, has had a pretty long history of, 
offering um, quite a few on ramps to to Azure, right? When it comes to uh, this type of thing, so they've had you know their their hybrid um, hybrid hyper converged systems, their Azure Stack has been, you know, Azure Stack's been around for a while. So customers have been able to run these stacks on premises. So they have been able to build stuff there that they can easily connect the cloud now, whether it's through private link or VPNs or through stack services. And that's that's why I think you're seeing a lot more adoption and it's gonna continue to grow as, as these, you know, on-premises data centers start shifting um, in bulk to the cloud. You see that, that 5% turning into, you know, 45, 90%, you're going to see a bulk of that is going to be Microsoft focused. That's great. That's great. Yeah, that's great update, uh, Manny and Brian. So uh, <clears throat> one last question, and then I will probably, we'll leave, uh, uh, we want to leave the audience with uh, two key takeaways that you want them to, to know. Uh, but before that, you know, we are seeing a um, um, huge increase in our uh, Azure customer base, right? We're coming to Aviatrix and we are finding more and more happy customers now. Uh, so what has been uh, the key reason, right? Why they they are coming to Aviatrix and finding them easier to operate in, in Azure and obviously, you know, connecting to other cloud as well as the business dictates. Um, so what would be your um, assessment so far? <clears throat> yeah, so, so my take would be, I mean, there, there are definitely some, you know, advanced services that we can add to in Azure. Um, and, and that resonates with a particular set of customers or a particular set of verticals, you know, whether it's uh, line rate encryption of, of express route circuits or planning for those real world scenarios like um, IP address overlap, right? Th those are sort of point um, issues that some customers may face where they just have a, a lot of difficulty finding native CSP solutions. Now that said, I think what people are really resonating with when we look at Aviatrix is really that multi-cloud enablement. It, they see it as a universal architecture that provides cloud optionality and sets them up for success in the long run, right? Mm -hmm. Now, a, a key point of that, which I think is very, very unique about Aviatrix, um, a lot of organizations to John's point earlier have this mandate of, I need to go Azure first, or I need to go CSP first. And there are a lot of overlay technologies out there that just say, okay, we're going to build this whole overlay and all you need, really need is us. You don't have to worry about the, the CSP bits and pieces, right? But there's always a connection point. You, you always have to figure out how do I stitch those two things together? And so one of the really, really nice things about Aviatrix is that we talk both languages. Yes, we have an overlay, but we can granularly insert that where needed. So we support customers who want to go Azure first. It's fine if, if that's your directive and we can help still orchestrate that and, and automate away some of that complexity. But we know when the real world comes and you're facing a lot of these challenges, whether it's going to another cloud, having to deal with a merger and acquisition, Aviatrix can keep that same framework, keep that automated uh, orchestrated experience, but layer in those advanced services um, to be able to meet those needs. I think that really appeals to a lot of customers. For me, for me, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's two things. It's the abstraction of complexity and the visibility. As we both know, even if you're building in a single cloud, gaining visibility is a difficult thing to achieve. It takes a long time to build. You get a lot of tools, a lot of silos. 
we bring all of that visibility, whether it's in a single cloud or a multi-cloud, we bring it all together in a single pane of glass where you can see your entire infrastructure end to end. Okay. And then on top of that, I have very rarely in my history of doing anything in IT seen a company execute on, on simplicity, simplicity of execution, very rarely. Aviatrix makes it very, very simple. And that it, to me, that resonates with a lot of customers when they're able to launch a controller and basically start building VNets and subnets and, and deploying gateways within minutes of, of executing our, our controller. That resonates big time with customers. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, John, do you have anything or maybe we can uh, wrap this up with the uh, No, no, I think that was great, Brian and Nanny. Good um, learning. It's a bit, yeah. So, John, I, I have one question for you. So, are, are you yeah. a P PG Tips guy or, or Earl Grey? <laughs> Actually, I'm a Yorkshire tea man. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> you know, they, they seem to, PG Tips seem to be a lot of dust in their tea bags, you know. <laughs> Yorkshire tea is a little bit stronger and I prefer it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, what about you, many? What about you? Um, You're your tea guy so, or coffee guy? So, so my wife's English and she drinks PG tips. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Tetley and PG tips are quite common. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Well, I'm from Georgia, so I'm a sweet tea guy. Sweet tea guy, okay. Oh, All man. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, two, two key takeaways and then we'll wrap this up. Brian, you're going to go with one and many you can go with. Second yeah, one. sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about even in this conversation about multi-cloud and the, the reality is a couple of years ago, you know, it, it was a notion, it, you know, people were looking at it from a DR perspective. Um, it's a real thing, you know, and again, you may be an organization, we see this every day that says, you know what, we're in Azure, we're always going to be in Azure, we don't have any need to go anywhere else. Um, that is true right up until the point where it's not. And it may not be you organically. It may be an acquisition. It may be a partner that forces you. Your customers that are trying to consume your service happen to be in another cloud. It is an inevitability at this point. And, and customers are starting to see it more and more. Um, so the more that you can plan for that upfront, the better off your life will be. The customers that we see who understand that and who architect for that and plan that into their day two operations and visibility pieces are more successful in cloud than those that don't, uh, plain and simple. So the, the more that you can consider those multi-cloud um, nuances and, and needs upfront, the better off you'll be. That's great. Yeah, multi-cloud, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to happen. It's here. Let's plan for it. Let's build that architecture. Let's build that MCNA uh, with Aviatrix. We can do it. We are the market leaders. That's my takeaway. You're going to build multi-cloud networks. We're here to do it. That's great. Um, thanks, uh, Brian and many. Really appreciate all the learnings. Uh, um, you know, for anyone who is listening, interested to know about Aviatrix and how are we solving uh, a lot of challenges for our customers and making it easy with the cloud journey and help them speed up the innovation. That's all about agility and speed of innovation in the cloud. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, see you in the next Fantastic. episode. Thanks, Manny. Thanks, thanks Brian. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks.